text that I'm going to begin with is this 40th verse of John chapter 5. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Let us seek the Lord for prayer. Our gracious Father, we are struck with the solemnity of this position that these people took in the days of Christ. And we are also struck with the fact that many are rejecting Christ today. And if there be one in this place or one listening online that is rejecting Christ, we pray they would turn from that position and seek the Lord. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. And amen. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Here in John chapter 5, the Savior is presenting a sermon. John's gospel is unique amongst the gospels. There are many reasons why the gospel of John is unique amongst the gospels. But one of the facts that makes it different is that John focuses more upon Christ's words than his works. That doesn't mean that his works are not here. We have seven miracles, eight miracles if you include the resurrection of Christ, but the other gospel writers include many more. But John's focus is upon the things that Jesus actually said. And for that reason, there are many wonderful things in John's gospel. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Sometimes we sing that, and many of these beautiful words are found in this great gospel. The Savior is presenting this sermon to a people who wanted to kill him. That's what verse 18 says. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, and they accused him of breaking the Sabbath because he actually healed somebody on the Sabbath day. He did good on the Sabbath day. He rescued a man on the Sabbath day. But they still used that as a pretext to object to him. And then they also hated him because he said that God was his father, and that made him equal with God. The Jews, you know, did not really have a concept of the Trinity, but they knew that one who was the Son of God was also equal with God. So from that perspective, they had a concept of the Trinity. If someone is God's son, then that person is equal with God because that person shares the same essence of God. So they knew that much. And so they knew where the Lord was going whenever he said that God was his father. He made himself equal with God. And to them, that was blasphemy. And so they sought the more to kill him. And as he was confronted with this venomous crowd full of religious motivation, devout but yet misguided, the Lord preached to them. And he presented truth. For verse 19 says, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, he presented truth to a people 
who hated him. They were opposed to him. They were antagonistic to him. They were absolutely hostile to him. They were looking for an opportunity to take their stones and to pummel him to death. That's what their desire was. But still he preached, and he brought the truth to them. And as he presented the message, he looked at them in the eye. And he didn't just look at them in the eye, but he did what I can't do. He looked right into their hearts. He could read their minds. And I would like you to reflect upon that tonight. Because while I am presenting God's Word, I am just the message boy. The Word is not mine. The Word comes from the same person who preached this Word all of these years ago. It's His Word. It's not my Word. It's not the church's Word. It's Christ's Word. Christ is speaking tonight through this book. And I may not be able to read your hearts and your minds and your thoughts, but He can. And as I speak tonight, He sees everything that's going on in every heart. He sees every thought. He knows it all. There's nothing that is hidden from Him. And I would like you to reflect upon that tonight, that you are here in the presence of God where God's Word is, and Christ is speaking through His Word And he's not only speaking through his word, but he's speaking as one who knows exactly what you're thinking. And as the Lord looked at these people, as he could read their thoughts, as he could see beyond their sneers, as he could see beyond the hatred in their eyes, as he looked down into the deep, dark recesses of their souls, He said this in the verse 40. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Life is being presented to you, but you will not come. He could read what they were doing. He could read their reaction. He could read their response. He knew what was going on in their hearts. They would not come. He knew that even as he was speaking to them. And as the Lord speaks tonight, He sees your response. What is your response? What are you determined to do tonight? Are you determined to leave this building rejecting Jesus Christ? Are you determined to block out everything that is being said? Is that your determination? Are you determined to think about everything that's going on in the world? Whatever was going on yesterday in your life, whatever's going on in tomorrow? Or are you thinking about some old football match or rugby game? Are you thinking about... What's going on in your family? Are you trying to think about all kinds of things and you're blocking out this message? You will not come that you might have life and you're determined to do this very thing tonight. You're totally insistent, so bold and arrogant and proud in your heart and spirit. You will not come to Christ. And even now as this message is being introduced, that's what's on your mind. That's what's on your mind. Things that you wouldn't say, you're thinking. And the Lord knows it all. Those thoughts of yours might as well be written upon that ceiling or on the screen for us all to see. And you'd be mortified. But the great judge sees it. They'll be used against you in the day of reckoning unless you repent and turn from your sin. And he sees it now. All those sins are being written down in the book. All that Christ rejection is being written down in the book. All those reactions, those adverse reactions to the gospel of grace is being written down in those books. 
And one day those old books are going to be opened and they're going to be presented. And there will be the evidence. You would not come to the Lord that you might have life. It's a solemn thing. The question of the hymn was, where will you spend eternity? And the soul is in hell because the soul has rejected Christ. And we're going to think about this sin of Christ's rejection this evening. What is this sin of Christ's rejection? It's the rejection of the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, these people heard Christ speak. But Christ indicated to them that there was a testimony. There was a written record teaching, showing, proving who he was. And he was teaching them that they already had this record. They were familiar with this record. And yet they had missed the whole truth. And therefore he said to them in the verse 39, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. He said, you've got the Scriptures. You've got Moses and the prophets. You've got the Psalms. You think you have eternal life because you have already searched the Scriptures. The Jews respected and revered as they still do the books that we would call the Old Testament. The scribes took great care over recording the Old Testament, writing down the words of the Old Testament. They would have counted out the letters, the words in every page. They would have been so scrupulous in case they missed something. They gave the Lord's Word tremendous authority. And so the Jews, they knew the Scriptures. They knew about Moses. They knew about Abraham. They knew about all of the rites and rituals of the Levitical order. They knew the law inside out, back to front. They knew what Isaiah said. They knew what Ezekiel said. They knew what went on in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. They knew about Malachi and what he taught, and Habakkuk and Zephaniah. They were aware of David and the Psalms. There was so much of the Scriptures that they knew from they were children. They were taught the Word of God. And they thought they had eternal life because they had the Scriptures and because they gave the Scriptures such an impressive place. But they only thought they had eternal life. They didn't have eternal life. They assumed they had eternal life. But they didn't have eternal life. And the reason why they didn't have eternal life because they missed the central person. They could tell you what David did and they could tell you what Solomon did. And they could tell you the words of Isaiah, but they missed the central person. They missed Christ. The main purpose of the Old Testament, Christ said, was to testify of me. And you haven't got eternal life because you haven't seen me in the Scriptures. They rejected the testimony of Christ. They didn't see him as the Messiah. They didn't see him as the one that had come to deliver them. They didn't see him as the one that was promised. They didn't see him as the one that 
the prophet said would be born in Bethlehem. They didn't see him as the one that was born of a virgin, whom Isaiah wrote of. They missed it all. They're missing Christ. They missed everything. And the scriptures were of no value to them. The scriptures became only a religious book. The scriptures became only a textbook. They adored their knowledge of the scriptures. But they didn't adore the Savior that was at the heart of the scriptures. And they definitely did not have a relationship with him. And so they missed out in the testimony of Christ. They had a Bible. But they missed the Savior. And tonight, you're privileged in that you have a Bible. You know what the Bible says. You know the message of the gospel. You know that you need to be born again. You know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know this. And you've read the Bible and you have it before you. You have more than one Bible in your home. You've been taught the Bible from childhood. You know texts. You're familiar with all of this. But you don't know Christ. You don't know the one that's at the heart of the Bible. And you may even know about Christ, but you don't know him. And in so doing, you have rejected this testimony. You see, in rejecting Christ, you're rejecting the person that is presented to you through all of these eyewitness accounts and all of these written records that we have from Genesis right through to Revelation. Your privilege is greater than these Jews because you have the, the word, the details, Christ's coming. What Christ did, what Christ taught, the great work of redemption, you have it all. And yet still you will not come that you might have life. But these people, they also rejected the authority of Christ. They said in the verse 18 that he made himself equal with God. And therefore, on account of that, Christ went on to prove to them and to demonstrate that he did have the authority to call himself the Son of God. In verse 19, he said to them at the very beginning of this message, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. And so he is saying that he has been given this authority to perform these miracles and the whole discussion was around the miracle of the man that lay by the pool of Bethesda, the man that had the infirmity for 38 years, and the Lord had released him from this infirmity that he had, enabled him to take up his bed and walk. And so there was this discussion about Christ's authority. Where did he get this authority? And Christ said, this authority comes from God, because I am the Son of God. And so when they rejected Christ, they rejected the one who is God. Whenever you reject Jesus Christ, you reject God himself. You reject the one that made all things. Now, the Lord talked about this rejection, and he spoke of John the Baptist in so doing. Very interesting what he says about John. In verse 33, he sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I received not testimony from man, but these things I say, that ye might be saved. 
He was a burning, this is John, he was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. It is true that these words do speak highly of John the Baptist. He was a burning and shining light. But this is not the reason why the Lord was presenting these words. He wasn't presenting them to tell the people what a great man John was. The Jews highly regarded John. They went from Jerusalem and Judea. We are told that all of Jerusalem and Judea went out to hear John speaking in the wilderness. He was highly regarded. He was revered. He said, you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. We know that a burning and a shining light it will only burn for a short time. And then it's gone. John's light burned and then it was gone. And for the season that they had him, they rejoiced in that light. They rejoiced in John. But John had one purpose, and that was to speak of Christ. So while they rejoiced in John's preaching and John's ability, they did not rejoice in the central theme of John's message which was Christ. I have a greater witness than that of John. I have more authority than John. You rejoice in John. You talk of John, but you say little of me. You don't want me. Yet I'm the one with the authority. For John came to talk of me. They were man-centered. They would talk of their knowledge, their learning, their religion, their knowledge of Scriptures. They would talk of this great preacher, John, that they had. But they didn't want the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it astonishing? People will go to any lengths they can possibly go to just to contrive a reason to ignore and to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. They will even use elements of truth itself to turn away from Jesus. Victorian England was blessed with some of the finest preachers that the English language has ever had. In London, during those years, there were two preachers that stood out. Two preachers who ministered to thousands of people every Lord's Day. Each man had a congregation of thousands. Neither of these men came from a, a background of privilege didn't come from a background of high education. One of them was C.H. Spurgeon, the Baptist minister of the Metropolitan Tabernacle at Elfin Castle. The other was Joseph Parker of the, of the temple. Joseph Parker was a stone uh, mason's son from Northumbria. Both men were mightily gifted, different in their own ways, mightily gifted to present the Word of God. People who heard Joseph Parker preach, who wrote down what it was like to hear him preach, would say that at times he was bombastic. Other times he was theatrical. He had a flourish of the hand. He had such ability to woo the congregation. At times he would roar like thunder. At other times he would speak with a whisper. And the congregation of thousands sat in awe of what he said. Those that came to hear Spurgeon, well, they flocked in their thousands likewise. And they heard him preach the gospel in such a way that he became known as the prince of preachers. Those men didn't only preach, but they wrote, they recorded their sermons. Parker's sermons were put into a set of 
commentaries called the, the, the People's Bible, if my memory serves me right. And Spurgeon's became the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit. And they did such a work in their day and generation. If Parker had one fault, it was this. People sometimes were so carried away by his theatrics that they forgot about the Savior. And it was said of one man that he came to London to hear these two great preachers and went away and said, when I listened to Parker, I, I said, what a, what a preacher. But when I heard Spurgeon, I said, what a Savior. But that does not mean that Parker did not preach Christ. He did. But yet there were people who sat under the preaching. He sat under the ministry. He heard God's word. Would not come to Christ. They rejoiced in the preachers. They enjoyed hearing the oratory. But they missed the Savior. When you're here tonight in the Lord's house, and we're glad to have you. And we have a building that we appreciate so much that the Lord has given to us. When you sit in comfort in the pew, you have the Bible in your lap, enjoying the singing of these hymns. But you need more than that. When it comes to the day of judgment, the Lord will not let you through the pearly gates because you sat in Clucker Valley Free Presbyterian Church, because you knew verses of Scripture. He'd want to know, have you come to Christ? Have you had a personal relationship with the Son of God? Was there a time in your life when you were born again of the Spirit of God? Ask the question. The Lord speaks with authority. You be sure. Respond to that authority. And come to Christ. Lest it be said of you, you will not come to me that you might have life. Then I would also like you to Notice how these people rejected the Lord's prophecy. Because the Lord in this sermon, He takes us forward in time to that moment that we have already alluded to, the judgment day, that the Father had given Him the position of judge. And these Jews that hated the Lord, that were turning away from the Lord, they were actually listening to the one who is their judge. That was the solemnity of it. But again, I remind you, this is not merely myself that is speaking. I'm bringing the Word. The God who wrote this Word is the judge. You will be judged with how you handled this Word. And I will have to stand and give an account to God for how I have handled this Word. And teaching this Word and preaching this Word. And the Lord said in verse 28 to these people, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming into which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Now we know that the dead don't hear, but there will come a day when the dead will hear. When every person that has ever lived, whether they were buried in graves or whether they were incinerated in a crematorium or whether they were lost at sea, whatever happened to them, they're going to hear. Verse 29 says, And they shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Those that knew Christ, those that have a relationship with Christ, they will rise to the resurrection of life. 
To be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. To be forever with the Lord. That new heaven and new earth. What a day that will be. But those that have done evil. Those that have not accepted Christ. Those that have turned away from Christ. They will be raised. For damnation. Two groups of people. One group given a resurrected body. Capable of enjoying the raptures of eternal life. And another group of people with bodies capable of experiencing infinite pain and suffering and darkness and the caverns of the damned for all eternity. Oh, please understand the solemnity of the question. Where will you spend eternity? This question comes to you and me. Tell me, what will your answer be? Where will you spend eternity? Christ is coming again. He came once and he's going to come the second time. There will be a resurrection. D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist, he was preaching a funeral sermon. And he thought as a young preacher he would get some inspiration from the Savior. And he looked through the Gospels to find a funeral sermon that Jesus preached. And he couldn't find one. Because wherever Jesus went, the funerals were stopped. As he approached that cortege on which the young son of the widow of Nain was laying, the boy was raised to life. As he visited that home of Jairus' daughter where that little 12-year-old girl was lying out stiff and cold, he spoke, she lived. As he came to the tomb of Lazarus, where they were saying, Lord, by this time he stinketh, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. Wherever the Lord touched death, life came. And I tell you, whenever the Lord comes again, the dead are going to be raised. But some to eternal life and some to everlasting damnation. Oh, you say, how can you be sure of that? How can you know that's going to be true? You're not living in the future to know this. I tell you, the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. These are His words, not mine. There will be a resurrection. Are you going to defy Christ tonight? There was a young woman from Germany. We have her name. Henrietta Julianne Caroline von Ruling. She died in the year 1782. She was an out-and-out -out atheist. And she insisted... Then when she be buried, a granite slab be put over her tomb. And she said that concrete or square blocks of stone be placed around the granite slab. And iron clumps be used to clump the stone onto the slab of granite. And then she said, I want these words to be inscribed. And these words were inscribed. This burial place purchased for all eternity must never be opened. It was a defiant act. A young woman going to die, and she was saying, This tomb will never be opened. 
But God has his ways of showing the world that man is but a foolish creature. Because the little seed of a birch get in between the slab and the blocks of stone. Found its way down into that grave and took root. It started to grow until eventually it forced its way up. Forced its way through. Broke that tomb asunder. Burst it open. And grew into a strong, healthy tree. And people from Germany, they used to travel far and near to look at this tomb that was opened up. Such a bizarre sight. And the words, this burial place purchased for all eternity must never be opened. It was as if God was saying, look, you'll never defy me. And actually, someone went and cut that tree down in 2010. Only in 2010, and there was a whole who and cry about it. God will always have the last word. But ultimately, that young woman's going to be raised when Christ returns. And so will you, and so will me. And we'll all meet the Lord. How will it be with you in that day, that solemn day? Don't reject the prophecy of Christ. Christ's prophecy are as sure and as true as if they have already taken place. The consequences of rejection. I look at what the Lord is saying here. You will not come to me that you might have life. This rejection is a willful rejection. A people that are absolutely determined in their hearts to turn from Christ. And if you leave this place tonight turning from the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, it's a willful act. You are deciding against Christ. I want you to remember that. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to decide for Christ. Because you still have time and you still have opportunity. You will not come to me that you might have life. If you willfully decide against Christ tonight, you're deciding for death. Because Christ is the one that gives you life, that gives you eternal life. Christ is the one who died on that cross that you might live. And if you decide against Christ willfully, you're deciding for death and you're deciding for hell. It's your choice. But ultimately, if you decide against Christ tonight, you lose the opportunity. This opportunity only comes once. Oh, you might say, I'll have another opportunity, you might. But the 5th of March will never come. 8 o'clock on the 5th of March will never come again. There's your time, there's your opportunity. Don't lose the opportunity. The story of Luke Short is such a tremendous story. He traveled to New England in the 17th century. He heard the gospel preached as a young man from one of the old Puritan preachers, a man called John Flavel, but he did not come to Christ. He traveled to New England. He set up a farm, and the Lord blessed him with old age. And in his 100th year, he was sitting down, and suddenly he remembered a message from old John Flavel back in England. Eighty-five years earlier, as a 15-year-old boy, he heard the gospel. And that old man, his hundredth year, he trusted Christ. Luke Short was saved. God's word never fails. There's room at the cross for you. 
Nicodemus said, can a man be born when he is old? And yes, he can. Thank God there's hope for every soul here. But only for now, only for tonight, will you come? Let's bow for prayer. You're here without the Lord tonight. Brother Neville's just going to lead this final hymn and bring the benediction. You're here without the Lord tonight. You, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Well, what will you do? What will you do with Jesus Christ? Or will you come? Will you sit in that pew? Lift up your heart to Christ and say, Lord, save me. Oh, do that, my friend. Don't lose this opportunity. Come now and come tonight. So that we will say of you, you did come and you received life. Lord, write your word upon every heart for Christ's sake.